Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Chelsea Clinton, and this season on In Fact, we're celebrating Women's History Month. I'll be talking with trailblazing women at the top of their fields about their personal journeys, the progress we've made, and how far we still have to go. Today, we're talking about representation and activism with Maria Teresa Kumar, the founding president of Voto Latino, the leading Latinx voter registration and advocacy organization in the country. It's no surprise that throughout our history, women have led the fight for women's rights. Women have also played a vital role in pretty much every social movement. Sojourner Truth and Lucretia Mott were abolitionists and suffragists. Rosa Parks and Dorothy Haidt were civil rights movement leaders. Dolores Huerta led the fight to improve conditions for farm workers, and she's still on the front lines. Brenda Howard, also known as the Mother of Pride, is credited with creating the first Pride Parade. Candy Leitner founded Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And Shannon Watts forged Moms Demand Action for Gun Violence Prevention. And those are just a few of the women who have refused to accept the status quo and fought for expanded rights, protections, and opportunities for women, but also for everyone. Anytime change is needed, 
odds are there have been brave, strong, and gutsy women at the forefront. My guest today is certainly a brave, strong, and gutsy woman who I have long admired and been lucky to know. Maria Tracy Kumar co-founded Voto Latino in 2004. She's an Emmy-nominated contributor to MSNBC, Fast Company named her one of the 100 most creative business minds in the country, and Elle named her one of the 10 most influential women in Washington, D.C. Maria Teresa Kumar, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about voting rights and activism and so much more. Thank you so much, Chelsea. You know, I thought we could start at the beginning of your story. You came to this country, the United States from Colombia, when you were four. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if you could just share how you think those early experiences of, of being an immigrant and then being a new American shaped you. So when I came to this country, one of the reasons we came was that my adopted father had fallen ill in Colombia, and so he needed to convalesce. And so my mom and I ended up in a tiny little town called Geyserville, California, that in the last census had less than 1,100 people. And, and where is Geyserville, California? It's in Sonoma County. Okay. And so my mother went from Bogota, Colombia, which is the metro- very much like New York City, to a teeny tiny town where the expectations for my grandparents, because they were grape growers, was that while my dad convalesced, she had to go work in the field. And Chelsea, I have to tell you that my mother was such a good sport because I don't think she'd ever seen a plant in her life. (laughs) And the next thing you know, she is picking grapes. And it was such a formative moment because I also knew the opportunities that this country afforded me were going to be vastly different than growing up in Colombia. My mother is Afro-Latina. And by that, the deck was already stacked against her. She had little education. And I had the opportunity to probably go to school, but more than likely would not have. And understanding I had the opportunity to go to school, I fell in love with the United States. And I will never forget going to San Francisco City Hall when I was nine years old and raising my right hand and pledging allegiance to the United States and becoming a U.S. citizen. And if you ask why the work that I do at Voto Latino is so significant is is that I remember that nine-year-old with these aspirations and thinking big and recognizing that the world opened up before me the moment I became a U.S. citizen. And it breaks my heart to know that there's millions of undocumented youth here in this country that have those exact same dreams, but because our laws changed from the moment I came to this country to today, that their future is different. And the more that we can get people to recognize that we're leaving great minds behind because they can't self-realize is one of the motivating factors of the work that I do. So I want to go back to that moment, you know, when you were a nine-year-old and you felt this enormous promise and potential, and yet it also sounds like real activation. Did you always know that you would work in activism and advocacy? You know, it's so interesting that you ask. So I love the idea of the American promise that I could be anything now that I was a U.S. citizen. And literally two years later, I remember coming home and I'm crying. And my dad was like, well, what's going on, honey? I said, I said, dad, I, I can't be president. <laughs> and, and my dad is like, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, in America, you promised, you know, I was promised I could be anything. And and it wasn't that I wanted to be, but this idea that, Th- that you my couldn't. opportunity was limited, right? Uh, but I always knew that I liked helping people. Uh, I always knew that 
And the reason, again, when my mother came first and then she brought my aunt and my uncle and my grandmother, I found myself navigating the country for my family at a very young age. The racial profiling and the policing that was happening in Sonoma when I was growing up was very real. I love Sonoma. It gave me an incredible experience and informed who I was, but Sonoma was very segregated and they sadly trapped our young men in particular at a very early age. The men were struggling and you would think that they had grown up in the worst part of New York City instead of a very rural progressive Sonoma. And it was at the same time the backdrop of when Pete Wilson's Proposition 187 passed. And so we, Sonoma and California was on fire with racial tension. And my family, for the very first time, felt not only differentiated, but in danger. Unsafe. And it broke my heart because this was the country that I loved. This is the country that said, we welcome you and let you self-realize. And they were, we were going against our own creed as I had understood it when I was growing up. And so if you ask what are the factors that motivated me, it was very much the dynamics between my dad's family who were farmers and my mom's family, but then also the institutions that were raising us with the backdrop of a very hostile governor. And it it basically baked me. Can you please tell our listeners what was Prop 187? So Proposition 187 was the original show me your paper laws, which identified anti-immigration language in California. And Pete Wilson promoted it. It was a ballot initiative that Californians, my neighbors voted for. And it was heartbreaking because it was the very first time I had to have a conversation with my family that they were in danger and they needed to become U.S. citizens. Why then voting rights? You had this sense of injustice that was affecting your family, your community. It wasn't kind of what you believed America should be. And there probably are many different areas where you could have directed your time, energy, talents. Why voting rights? I had the opportunity to work in Capitol Hill right after college for Vic Fazio. He was chairman of the Democratic Caucus. And I was able to see up close who influenced policy and how. And one of the things that I learned were that the people oftentimes advising our members didn't come from the community they were trying to serve. So there was a huge gap in intention and policy outcome. And so while I was at the Kennedy School, I had kind of a light bulb moment of there are millions of young Latinos behind me that have the potential to define this country so that those policy outcomes are actually met with intention and purpose. And if we start mobilizing them, we could actually leapfrog a lot of the static that we see in policymaking. In 2003, Latinos technically became the second largest group of Americans in this country. And Voto Latino, we started it in 2004. And the 2010 census says, sure enough, 53% of the growth in this country was due to the Latino population. And this is what folks didn't realize is that they were American-born children. So while Latinos were technically the second largest population in America in 2003, they were mostly, the majority, under 18 years old. And it wasn't until 2018 that they became the second largest voting bloc. So at Voto Latino, it's this seeing the future from the perspective of, I know what it means to grow up under the backdrop of a really bad governor. And so where did Voto Latino go? We went to Colorado when Tancredo was on the rise. We went to Arizona when we saw the rise of anti-immigration laws, Nevada, 
North Carolina, Georgia, Texas, places people told us that we were wasting our time. And people said that Latinos youth didn't care. Like, that's all I heard. And I was like, that's none of my experience. (laughs) And so now, almost 20 years after the founding of Mm -hmm. Voto Latino, in which you have more than proven that young Latinos will register to vote, will turn out to vote, will continue to vote. What stories do you share to help personalize the statistics that you just articulated? We expected Latinos to become the second largest voting bloc, not until 2024. And in fact, it happened in 2018. And when they hit that marker of being the second largest, we were able to flip Arizona. And the year before, we had flipped Virginia. And two years before, we had been able to basically make both Nevada and Colorado a battleground state. And so we just saw this progression. And so when people say, well, the Latino vote didn't make a difference, I said, well, now let's go to Georgia. In Georgia, Latinos represent 4% of the electoral base with our brothers and sisters in the African-American community and with Asian Americans, it becomes formidable. 4% makes all the difference. Both the Latino, we registered 23,000 folks in Georgia. 10,000 of them, Chelsea, were first-time voters. Biden won by 11,000 votes. We did it in Georgia. We did it in Arizona. We did it in Nevada and Pennsylvania. It's by no coincidence that we were able to help bring in not just the White House, but the Senate and Congress. When you have bad actors, because Georgia has terrible actors, Arizona has had terrible actors, and you have a rising Latino youth population that has grown up in households where they're trying to navigate the country for their families and see their parents working themselves to the bone for a country that not doesn't always even see them. The only thing that we have to fight for is at the ballot box. That's for most 18-year-olds, that's their only recourse, a voice. And if we tap into that energy and make them believe that change happens, then we have a country that is truly fulfilling its promise. And in 2018, it was no coincidence that a multicultural America came out in the largest numbers in a midterm and changed Congress, not only with the most women, but the most people of color, the most veterans, the youngest generation of members. And that shows that when we participate equally, we have access. We'll be right back. Stay with us. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The work of changing the electorate to actually match who we are as a country and then ensuring that people are able to vote and then do vote is long-haul work. You talk about Voto Latino starting you know, in 2004, and then you talk about the work that you were able to build toward 10, 15 years later. Are there people in your life who have really inspired, mentored you, and also supported you kind of in this necessarily persistent, gritty work? I have to say that I've been fortunate enough that throughout my walks of life of this, I've had many mentors. But I would say that the the first one was my mom. I was living in New York City. I packed my bags and I went back home to Sonoma, California with this idea of Voto Latino, right? Uh, So she has a boomerang, you know, for someone who's on the eve of their 30th birthday who had been helping her pay rent, you know, pay her mortgage and saying, mom, I want to start this. And I'm going to do it on my credit card, which folks listening don't ever do that. (laughs) Terrible, terrible, terrible advice. But when I was down and where people were telling me, you're, you know, Latinos don't care. Latino youth in particular, young people don't care. Why are you wasting your career? When those times came, my mother was the one that said, no, you have seen it from the front lines. You have lived it. And this is a story you need to tell. And then I had the opportunity to meet women in Silicon Valley who understood what I was trying to achieve. And it was the unlikely allies that came into my life that really believed in this idea that we had to forge a different type of America. And through it, I've had incredible mentors, whether it it has been Kamala when she was DA, that's when I first met her. Gavin gave me a lot of counsel. But then, you know, through the journey, Pelosi was one of the first people to take my phone call and said, yes, I will meet with you. And then I've had, believe it or not, a lot of volunteers along the way. We have a power summit every year at Voto Latino, and the idea is trying to get young people to think about running for office, how to balance their checkbook, how how to think in a different space. And I will never forget, we were in Las Vegas, and I ran into this young man. I said, oh my gosh, you suited up. 
it, you know, because I had remembered him from the last conference. He's like, yeah, I bought this suit for this. And I brought three friends. And his parents were farm workers. And Chelsea, when he said that, I felt like tears coming to my eyes because I realized that we had communicated what we wanted, that he belongs in all the spaces. And I knew how hard he must have worked to buy himself that suit. And that he believed enough this enough that he brought his friends with him. And we're starting to see more young people run for office. Right now we have uh, Greg Kassar, who we trained back in 2014. He ran for office and became the youngest city councilman in Austin. He fought for fair wages there. And now he's running for Congress. And that's what we're about. We're about changing that paradigm. I'm curious, especially given your response to who have your mentors been? And so many have been women, not not all of them, but so many of them have been women. How do you think being a woman has shaped your leadership, your vision for Voto Latino and the work of Voto Latino, both in the organization and with your partners? Mm-hmm. I think that I've been fortunate enough that I was, I was raised in a matriarchy. <laughs> so, <laughs> and as a result, I have always been given, I think, the tools and the understanding of walking into a room and recognizing the the weight someone else may carry. And also understanding, like I shared, my father was very ill for a very long time. My mom has come to this country with very little education and didn't know English. And the next thing we know, she has become head of household. She was going to school, getting her AA degree putting me through school, bringing her family and just becoming such a passionate warrior for her family and doing it with grace in the face of every, you know, racist and sexist comment you could possibly have imagined. And it taught me how, again, walking into these spaces that the collaboration and the amount of will you need has to be done with friends and it has to be done in partnership. And if we are to have a healthy family, if we are to have a healthy community, healthy country, it has to start with women and it has to start with women because we are making the decisions of how to nurture and care for our families to how to actually provide a different type of perspective of what work means in order to be able to balance. But I have to share with you, I've been fortunate enough that I also have a partner that celebrates the work and that allows the space for me to say, well, I'm not going to be able to do X, Y, Z that are traditional roles. I don't want to have traditional roles in our house. Yesterday, Chelsea, I think you'll appreciate my son. My husband was taught, was saying a quote about how all men were created equal. And my son said, all men and women. Amen. (laughs) Amen to your son. (laughs) And I imagine uh, many people come and ask you for advice. I imagine especially women and, and women of color. And as someone who has been profoundly successful in your work. What advice do you give when especially young people come and ask for career guidance or just life guidance? I think one is enjoy the moment that you're in and learn as much as you can from whatever moment you are, because you never know when you're going to need those skills. I started working when I was 11 11 years old. Working at a cash register taught me customer service. Working in Congress taught me how to politic and understand policy and the mechanics. I worked for a healthcare firm selling research and stuff, and I didn't like it, but I learned how to be poised and sell ideas. And when they were all came together, everything taught me how to be able to promote and grow Voto Latino from 
the accounting to the management to the execution of strategy and creating it. Had you told me that every single thing that I started doing when I was 11 was going to serve me in my future role, I wouldn't have been so sure. But one of the things that I've always appreciated from, again, my mom is the zeal of always doing whatever you're doing to the best of your ability and your capacity. We're taking a quick break. Stay with us. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I want to go back to voting rights for a moment because we are in a different place today in 2022 than we were when you started Voto Latino in 2004, both in that we have made progress in some areas and also have significantly more challenges in others. And so I wonder if you could just kind of lay out where you think we are as relates to voting rights in this country and where you think we need to go? When we started with Voto Latino, I always had an urgency to build it fast. And that urgency came with an understanding that someone like the former twice impeached president was going to come about. 
just from my experience of seeing it at the local level. When we started Voto Latino, the job was very easy, register to vote and convince them to go cast a ballot. After the gutting of the Voting Rights Act, we came into the business of starting to sue states, depending on what state they're in. The same vote that many of your listeners was able to cast in 2020 after a verified certified election of all 50 secretary of states, Republican and Democrat, that same vote now is vulnerable because of the, all the laws that they did in 2021, where that same person who cast the ballot in 2020 may not be able to cast it in 2022. And can you explain kind of why that, why that is? Because I don't think a lot of people understand on an existential level what has happened very quickly to the sacred right to vote in our country. So in 2020, as a reminder, every state said, yes, this is a fair certified election. There was no voter fraud. We stand by it, whether the Secretary of State was Republican or Democrat. Since then, there has been what we call at Volta Latino a bill in a box. It is a bill coming out of disproportionately out of the Heritage Action Fund from the Heritage Foundation in Washington. And they are literally going state by state and selling the exact same package of legislation to restrict the access to the voting booth. It's the same strategy that they use to create anti-abortion legislation. It's the same type of tactic that they've used for anti-immigrant laws. None of this is coming from the groundswell of the states. It's very much coming from an extreme group of folks. And it's because they read the tea leaves of who did vote in 2020. And it was a multicultural America. It's not who they want to vote in 2022 or 2024. No, because we see a very different world vision. We actually believe in climate change. We believe in women's choice. We believe in women's agency. And we believe that immigrants should have rights and be treated humanely. And the list goes on. And so I'll give you an example of one of the ways people are trying to restrict the vote. In Texas, I don't know how you registered to vote when you were 18, but I registered to vote on my college campus. The very first person I ever voted for, I was proud to say, was your father. I was so excited. And I still have a stub. Yeah, I also, I registered to vote in Palo Alto because I was at Stanford. But yeah, my first votes absolutely were based on where I was going to school. Believe it or not, we're suing right now Texas because they passed a piece of legislation last year saying that you needed residency requirement now to register on your college campus. The challenge is that we know that just between 2020 and by the time Greg Abbott's going to be on the ballot this year, a quarter million Latino youth are going to turn 18 in Texas alone. So all these restrictions are by design. And if I was a young person today, I would be so angry and so upset and offended that you have a whole bunch of older people trying to disenfranchise your vote. Generally older white people. Older white people (laughs) trying to disenfranchise your vote. And they are not aligned with your values. While it disproportionately falls along color lines, it disproportionately falls generationally along young people. They're the ones most impacted by these shenanigans. So when I say that we're building towards the future, it means literally it's towards the future. But how do we create policy and access to a community that for the most part still can't vote yet, can't fully self-realize themselves just because they're kids? Well, and how do we have sufficient civic education in schools and in other places where children spend time so that young people grow up expecting the right to vote and expecting themselves and their friends to vote. That's exactly right. How do we create that culture? And I think, you know, what most folks don't realize is that in the 1970s, uh, they actually took civic education out of schools. 
And right now we only have eight states out of 50, eight states that provide civic education for a whole year. That's nothing. Yes, because we should be having age-appropriate civic education at least kind of in every tranche of school, elementary, middle, and high school, and ideally embedded in every year of school. And yet we don't, or at least we don't yet. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) That could be another project. Yes. (laughs) So where do you think we'll be in a decade if you were to look in your crystal ball? Well, right now we are in a fork in the road. We can fight like hell. The 2022 elections are going to be, for us, some of the most consequential. And I know people hear this every single time, but we are right now in the eye of the storm. We need a functioning Congress. And if we don't participate in the midterm elections, then the challenge is is that Republicans will come into office. And then we have to ask ourselves, next presidential election, when a Democrat wins, will this same Congress of Republicans certify a fair, free election? People always say, well, how did we get to this point? I said, well, many of us stopped nurturing our democracy. We stopped participating. We stopped loving it. And my hope is that people recognize that our country is worth fighting for and the liberties of our young people are worth fighting for. And we have a generation waiting to take the reins of leadership, but we have to make sure that we are responsible not just responsible leaders, but I always say, you know, oftentimes people talk about ancestors. It's like, we are the living ancestors of our children right now. And are we ancestoring properly so that they have a shot of being self-realized to their best version of themselves? And if we think of it through how are we ancestoring our democracy, living, breathing it, it I think allows people to recognize the responsibility that we have, not just to each other, but really to our kin and to our families. When Marie just said that, just the last question, we've, we have already, you know, spoken about so many statistics that motivate you, inspire you, I think also anger you. I do wonder, though, if there is sort of one statistic or fact uh, that you'd like to leave our listeners with that is particularly important to you, whether it's inspiring or enraging. Mm -hmm. I'm on the board of Emily's List. Emily's List is, we believe in helping women run for office who are pro-choice Democratic women. And trying to recruit women in the before times, Chelsea, I like to say, was really hard. There was always a litany list of why they couldn't run. And so in 2016, to give you an example, 600 women collectively sent an email saying that they were interested in running for office at Emily's List. And Emily's List is a huge organization. After the election of the former president, the twice impeached, Over 42,000 women contacted Emily's List within 17 months saying that they wanted to run for office. And we see a bench now of incredibly talented women. It wasn't by chance that for the first time in Congress in 2018, 126 women filled the chamber of the U.S. House of Representatives. It's because we were able to field candidates. Nina Hidalgo, at 27 years old, she is one of someone to watch in Texas. We see Jessica Cincineros also in Texas. We saw Crisanta Durant, who had run. We see a whole group of young women with a different type of fortitude of saying the only way we change our country is if I become involved. And that shyness has dissipated. And that is what gives me hope claiming space and then using their platforms to help actually advance opportunity and equity. Mm -hmm. Well, Rietrisa, you certainly inspire many people as well, and I count myself among them, and I am incredibly thankful for your time today. This was fun. Thanks so much, Chelsea. You can learn more about Voto Latino at votolatino.org. And... 
you can find Maria Teresa on Twitter at Maria Teresa. In Fact is brought to you by iHeartRadio. We are produced by a mighty group of women and one amazing man. Erica Goodmanson, Mart Har, Sarah Horowitz, Jessamyn Molly, and Justin Wright. With help from Lindsay Hoffman, Barry Lurie, Joyce Kubin, Julie Subrin, Mike Taylor, and Emily Young. Original music is by Justin Wright. If you like this episode of In Fact, please make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your family and friends to do the same. If you really want to help us out, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl, go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.